You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the visual effects supervisor for The Matrix Resurrections, Hugh J. Evans. Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. Hi. Have we met? One pill makes you larger And one pill makes you small And the ones that mother gives you If you want the truth, Neo, you're going to have to fly me. The only thing that matters to you is still here. I know it's why you're still fighting and why you will never give up. You don't know me. No? back to where it all started back to the matrix you guys are dnet right uh yes. so what specifically were, was your team responsible for just so i know what to ask you about what uh, mm-hmm. what did you not do so dneg had the bulk of the work on the movie we were the lead vendor we are split into two sites. So we did some work in London and some work in Vancouver. So I was the soup in London for the London work. And then there was a Vancouver soup as well. So London stuff was mainly focused on anything that was real world, as in not within the matrix construct. So we did the IO city, the anything that's got the, the ships, the, the matrix C ships. Right. Uh, we did the power plant stuff and the power stacks we did the neo waking up in his pod stuff getting plucked out of his pod and carried through um we did the exomorphous character which is the guy made of ball bearings oh, so cool and his oh, journeys um we did kujaku which is the weird sort of manta ray creature thing that uh picks up trinity out of her pod and they go and rescue her uh and then we also did the dojo sorry we did do one thing within the matrix we did the dojo sequence as well 
Um, okay, so um, well, hands down, I think maybe the coolest thing I saw in there was the uh, the ball bearing Morpheus. That was so sick. So how did cool. you tell me about creating that? That was so that was fun. It was a fun challenge. Um, I think it started as a challenge conceptually. So Lana originally gravitated towards quite a kind of fluid, slightly abstract character we had some cool concepts of him sort of breaking apart quite a lot more and being all a bit flowy and then as he's kind of needed he sort of snaps back into a body but we sort of quickly discovered that he's you know a leading character who's got close-ups and dialogue important dialogue so I think <laughs> if he's too distracting for an audience to relate to you, you know you miss messages so we had to kind of constrain him a bit more um, but she still wanted to have this kind of free-flowing energy about him so we sort of gave him the idea that whatever part of his body he's currently using, that's where he kind of focuses his energy and the balls kind of snap together and, you know, stop sort of oscillating so much. They're kind of mm. a bit more solid. And then anything that he's not using at the time is a bit more free flowing, kind of like sort of seagrass motion. So if he's having a conversation with someone, his the front of his face will be focused, you know, his chest maybe. And as his lower torso goes down, it's a bit more free. Yeah. If he's gesturing with his arms, you know, he's using the muscles and stuff. So he wants to be a bit more solid. So we kind of went with that mentality and that seemed to kind of work conceptually and give us some nice, you know, images. What uh, yeah. what did you guys have on on set to kind of make sure you got his facial expressions? What was he operating with for that? So we had, so Lana was very keen to make sure that he was present. So the actor was actually present on set. She didn't want to do a separate shoot of him, you know, actors acting to nothing, separate shoot of Morpheus on a, you know, like a different stage where we can right. do a fancy capture. So he was present on set. Um, we put him in a like a faux tracking bodysuit type thing, Lycra, just with um, good contrasty shapes on so we can body track him, set up a bunch of witness cameras whenever he was present, as many angles as we could cover so team can do some decent body tracks. Um, we had a head-mounted camera to capture his face. And, yeah, that was kind of our, our base for everything. In some cases, we didn't use the head-mounted camera purely because it might have been a close-up dialogue scene and maybe there was a character stood just behind his shoulder and the big sort of camera would sort of get in the way and cover everyone's faces. <laughs> right, so right. in some cases, you know, obviously for images, it was better without the camera. But obviously for us who needs the data, it was like, oh, can we have the camera on, please? <laughs> so in some cases, our talented animation team had to create a performance based on what he did on set. But yeah, in most cases, we had the um, that camera data, which was super helpful. And then, yeah, sort of brought it online back at base. And we kind of treated him, I suppose we treated him like a normal digi-double to start with. Because mm -hmm. even though he was going to be made of ball bearings, we knew that those particles had to flow over his muscles and his skin as if he was properly moving. You know, we've got some real close-ups on him. So we, we did a full muscle sim, um, skin sliding sim. And we kind of got that up to a level in our sort of creature department until we then passed to effects. And once we were happy with that, and that kind of worked, then we pass it to effects, run all the balls and stuff over the top of that. And then that gives us a really solid base. And when he is, you know, he's pulling himself up in some cases. So we wanted to make sure that they were following the tones of his muscles. And, you know, it wasn't just too abstract. It had to feel mm -hmm. real and solid. So, yeah, okay, lots, so, of, lots of challenges. Oh, lots of challenges. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's well, tell me about the dojo, because I think I read that you guys, the surrounding environment, you <clears> used <throat> the uh, Riot Games and render software or something for the first time in film. Yeah, we used we used Unreal. So it was Epic's Unreal Engine. 
yeah so for us yeah that was super exciting um it kind of fit nicely into the the story of the matrix you know it's an artificial construct so kind of creating it in this games engine was quite an exciting idea something that we hadn't done as a full sequence in a movie before at DNIG. so we partnered up with epic um they sort of they set the groundwork for the scene it was kind of based on a uh yeah it's based on a bridge in um germany called the devil's bridge it's got a proper german name which i can't remember because i'm not german but it's called the devil's bridge and it's this beautiful sort of piece of architecture like a half uh, semicircle on a lake and when you look at it from a certain angle it makes a full circle so lana loved that that was kind of the concept so we had two of these similar bridges surrounded by um trees it was kind of split into three three lakes joined together um, so Epic basically started getting that scene together with Lana. So she was kind of designing it and making sure she was happy with it. Then we partnered up, partnered up with them and um, took that scene, updated it, lit it, added falling leaves, rippling water, you know, as much details as we could fit in, in Unreal, all in Unreal. We did our cameras in Maya like we normally would. Mm-hmm. So the layout team set up the cameras and then exported them out back into Unreal. And then, yeah, we just ran a sort of very lean team of basically one artist with some support um, to block out It was just over 100 shots for that sequence, um, which was great because, you know, once you've got the scene set up and we've got our lighting there, it's very quick and fluid to play around with. So we could try and block out the whole sequence as quickly as possible, get feedback from clients. And the tricky thing for us, I guess, was then what we did with those images. So we knew Unreal would get us so far, mm-hmm. but we wanted to really push it this sort of real-time rendering to get final quality renders at 4k because we were delivering the show at 4k oh god so we had to we had to your poor computers <laughs> yeah it was also when we started the show we were on i think unreal engine 4.25 now we're sort of you know they're just coming out with version 5 which has got way 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 more features so back then we had quite a close dialogue you know it was not hugely used in film. Um, so we had a load of things that we needed, splitting things out into layers, you know, proper color support. So we had a, a really good back and forward with the team at Epic where they were giving us like bleeding edge releases of their engine that we could build. It was all mm. very sort of hot off the press. Cool. So I think, you know, now if we were to go and do it again, it would be a lot easier because a lot of those features are there. But at the time <laughs> it was, uh, how do we do this? We can't do this. Uh, can you add this feature? But, you know, they were amazing. It was great to have that direct you know lying with them so we could um get it all sorted okay so um i'm curious about i figure it was probably difficult um rebuilding the real world the uh the pods that they're all in and stuff did lana want you to cite what they had done in the original film did you build from scratch tell me about that yeah so what was great about that i mean obviously that's a big iconic environment so for all of us it was like yeah yeah yeah. can we do that stuff because everyone wants to do the you know the pods and the harvesters and the you know sentinels flying around it's like that's when you think of matrix at least i do that like that stuff is so iconic so yeah we started with some concepts um obviously we've got the original trilogy as amazing reference you know we know what that world is supposed to look like what lana was keen on doing for this one was making sure that timeline wise sort of 60 years has passed mm-hmm. so we don't just want to use the same assets, you know, use the same scene. It's supposed to show growth and how the machines have had to um, 
use more power. They've had to draw more power, so they've needed to expand their farm, basically. So we had a sort of tiered, a little bit more of a tiered base where they where they're planting their pod stalks. I think we ended up with like six six million, I think, um, pod stalks, roughly sort of spread out. Oh um, with cabling and pipes, you know, they've kind of upgraded, so they need more power flowing through. So we've got bigger cables and pipes that are laid out between them, all still within the same, you know, matrix language. Um, we did a Nightmare Sky, similar to the original trilogy. That was a full 3D asset, 3D light, the 3D lightning. And then for the towers, they were... So we started with a pod based on old movies. We, you know, we took reference from the old movies, mm-hmm. built a pod which looked similar. Um, try to make it as procedural as possible in duplicating in as much as possible, um, adding more and more gubbins that we could. Again, it's all about drawing more power, so we redesigned things a little bit. And then I think we ended up with probably per tower, I think it was 18,000 pods, oh and each God. pod had a person inside, a squirming person who had cables and tubes attached to them. So it was like heavy, and then I don't know how many towers we had, we had a lot of towers. So the scene was huge, absolutely huge. And then below all of those towers, we had this root section. So it was kind of split into three sections. We had the fetus field with all the farming fetuses and the eggs. We had the power stacks, which was all the towers with humans in. And then we had the root section, which is underneath. So in the story, when they dip down to the base, and that's where the ship is kind of swimming around the murk and they kind of rescue him on board. Um, and again, that was a massive build in itself. So combining all of these things together to this huge, huge environment, it was one of the, you know, one of the earliest things we started building and probably one of the last things to finish as well. Just a huge, huge scale and density of detail. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. And for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. So from what I heard, uh, Lana wanted a lot more to be done in camera this time. So in some of these environments like the dojo and like this, uh, this real world, what was shot on set versus what did you guys just completely build? So dojo wise, um, they built a dojo set. You know, mm-hmm. that was that was the fight scene was shot in a dojo set. Our work was um, the background. 
So we, you know, the background was completely digital, just green screens on set. Uh, we also did set cleanup, you know, damage to posts and things like that, sure. um, wire cleanup, the usual stuff. But no, that was that was a practical set, other than the wide shots, which were fully CG. And at the end as well, when it explodes, um, that was all fully CG. What else? The So the journey through the, the fetus fields. So the fetus fields were entirely CG. Nothing was mm-hmm. shot on set for that. Um, the power stacks and everything and the roots, that was all fully CG. The only things that were practical there were the sort of close-ups on Neo's reaction as he's kind of being carried down. And that was sort of him lying on a on a chair, basically, with some goo <laughs> dripping off him. And we wrapped a creature around him and kind of covered him up. Yeah, then the other stuff was uh, on board the ships. So whenever they're on board the ships on, on the Nemozine, you know, having conversations or meeting the robot crew, um, that was a, a set, an amazing set which was great. You know, that was then just our focus could be on the creatures rather than the, the background. What about the, um, obviously something that is CG completely. What did you call the, the Manta creature? What, what's it called? Kujaku. Kujaku. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So tell me about creating Kujaku. Kujaku was, yeah, Kujaku was a cool creature. Uh, again, sort of started a little bit different to how they ended up. Um, it started as very sort of deep sea creature based quite organic you know a lot of these creatures are supposed to have a sort of slight crossover organic um mechanical to sort of fit into the world this creature was very organic to start with so glowing internals um the core inside was sort of a machine and the outside was this sort of fleshy manta ray type creature Uh, we got quite far in the process with that creature and it looked pretty beautiful i thought we were doing this sort of cuttlefish sort of skin that could like change and react kind of like a camouflage um and that was really cool but then it sort of got to a point where it was feeling very separate to all the other creatures and while it was this sort of special character in itself it it kind of thought i think it was kind of confusing people like all of the machines look a certain way and then there's this one character who comes in like, is this like a new breed of something? <laughs> so it was we had to we had to pair it back and mechanize it a little bit more. So we sort of backed off on the organic. Um, obviously, trying not to change the creature too much since we didn't want to have to redo a whole load of work. You know, a lot of animation had been done and started, so it was um you know, thank goodness we had a nice build team who could just jump on it. We concepted super fast, build team jumped on it, and we rebuilt this creature around all the joints that we'd already set up. But yeah, that was that was a that was a cool looking creature. I really liked it. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see what the original looked like too. That sounds sick. With like the yeah, uh, I don't know if we're. I'm, I'm sure we've got like concept art and turntables and stuff. I don't know if any of that is allowed to be released. I'll I'll try and find out because I think it's. I'd love to release it. It looks cool. So, uh, you know, I know that you didn't directly handle this, but since I'm asking about Matrix VFX in general. Uh, talk to me about the new bullet time because you know how they handled that there's some really cool sequences like in the cafe with that I mean were you you do you know background on that generally I, I do but sadly it wasn't Dean Egg's work um yeah you know I was the uh the cafe fight some of that stuff I was present on set for mm-hmm. doing other stuff but then I knew they were shooting that bit so I was like mm, I'm just gonna go and mosey in here and see what's going on oh look they're doing a big cool fight, fight scene. <laughs> So that was, you know, for me, just being nosy and excited. Super cool to see. But yeah, no, that sadly, sadly, that work wasn't Dean Eggs as much as I would have loved it to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, then uh, what else were you particularly proud of that Dean Egg brought to this one? 
I think the other stuff that we did, so the other kind of big chunk of work, I mean, the creatures I was really proud of. I didn't think they had much screen time, um, but really pleased with how they turned out, the Synthian creatures. And the we had a couple of other environments as well. So there was the the IO City that I mentioned. Again, that was just a massive, massive build. We sort of blocked it out into different sections. There was like a farming section, a factory section, residential block section. You know, each had these little vignettes of action that we'd modelled and sort of hand-placed to sort of tell a story of this city, um, all within a cavern. Then we had volumetrics, we had smoke, steam, all these little details, crowd, tiny little people wandering around, just a huge, <laughs> huge scale, knowing that we were going to fly this ship through, you know, whatever route was decided. So that, again, fun build, long build. Are, are, do you have like an algorithm that eventually can just on its own design individual people to plunk down? Or are they basically individually designed by your team one by one? When you mean like having... the buildings and stuff? Or... Yeah, well, yeah. And then like you said, you have <clears> little people <throat> wandering around in them and stuff too. So I mean, like, is there something, do you have a system that basically once it knows kind of what you want to create can individualize them or do you have to basically program? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, we're like for crowds, we'll generally build, I don't know, a handful of actual different people. It depends how they're going to be used in that case, because mm -hmm. we knew they were going to be small. You know, you're not going to see face details or anything. Right. So we built, I can't remember, maybe like five or six actually different people. And mm -hmm. then swap color of trousers, color of jackets, you know, the things that you will notice being different hair color, you know, we can very quickly sort of create a hundred odd different people just by varying their clothes. So that's, that's how we get crowd stuff done in terms of laying them out. It's, it's a team of people who are artistically laying where they go, you know, we'll generally create a library of actions, what they do, walk around, chat with each other. And then the crowd team will sort of sprinkle them creatively where they think it looks cool. And then they'll do their thing in their own little places. And it's similar with the buildings as well. You know, we'll build, we'll generally build these little vignette pieces of action, um, mm -hmm. particular building styles, uh, which we might, again, vary similarly, you know, with different heights, different window shapes, different doors. That stuff can be quite easily varied. But in order to make it feel like a real breathable city, there's definitely a, a, an amount of hand placement that needs to happen. You know, yeah. you can proceduralize it as much as possible but it starts to look a bit bland if it's got no sort of creative drive behind it as well. So there's always, there's always a team of people driving it, but we will try and speed things up where we can. Any savings, a good saving. <laughs> and then, uh, okay. So you said the IO city was one of your favorite things. And then, uh, Oh, then the anomalium, which is the sort of red environment where Nia wakes up in the pod. Um, oh yeah. So that, you know, again, just that nostalgic, having Neo waking up from a pod and breaking through and stuff and, you know, getting to revisit that. Obviously it's a different environment in this case. It's not the same. He's not waking up in the, in the stacks. He's got his own sort of private room, but that room was cool because they built, I think it was like a 10 meter tall partial set. So they had one mm -hmm. real pod filled with real goo. And then they had part of the turbine sort of front part of the turbine, which is about 10 meters tall. And then we were extending that back many meters. I don't know <laughs> how many and duplicating it. So there's two pods. Um, adding cables, um, Atmos, smoke, these little microbots scuttling around. Um, so all of that kind of detail stuff was great and getting it into this sort of murky world. I think the other stuff that I was quite proud of in that section, which is a bit more sort of invisible effects, is all of the cables and ports attached to Neo. 
we kind of oh. assumed that they were practical, but we did all yeah. of them digital, sort of painstakingly. He had sort of port, um, like the port holes, yeah, um, attached to his back. Um, but obviously to avoid him getting all tangled up when he's thrashing around and stuff, they were all they were all digital. So we had to individually track each of these little ports because they, you know, depending on what his muscles do and what his skin does, they slide around differently. So oh, each shit. port had to be tracked individually. And then we put our, you know, CG effects <coughs> cables on. And then obviously he's in goo. So the cables have to interact with goo. So we have to do CG goo. He's got goo dripping down his body onto the cables that are attached to him. So then becomes a, you know, and then, and then, and then. Um, oh, shit. A lot I, of work uh, goes into it, but you just kind of assume it's just there, which yeah, is, I you know, I love that, that kind of the camera. That's yeah. nuts. So that, that uh, okay. stuff I get excited about. Yeah. So what else, uh, what else am I going to, when I watch the movie, am I going to be like, there's no way that's CGI, but something like that. Cause it's so seamless. I guess a lot of the, well, hopefully some of the environments as well, where we've blended between the practical set where that ended to then our digital set. In some cases it's, you know, very, very close to each other. So hopefully you don't notice the blend and our digi doubles <laughs> as well. You know, we try and use as much as possible of the real actors, but in some cases, if they're on harnesses or rigs, we'll have to start blending in CG parts of their body to just help with the cleanup. You know, if characters are getting picked out of these pods by robot creatures on set, they will get sort of hoisted out by right. a harness or a crane or whatever. And how we, how much of their body gets covered up depends on how much digi double we'll have to introduce. So yeah, hopefully you won't notice any because. <laughs> well, dude, this, um, you know, this is very informative in general. I'm, uh, I hope that the Bake Off happens in a normal capacity. Yeah, I want to okay. see some of the, are you guys going to put out some cool, I love those before and after reels. Are those going to? Yeah, we're doing them yeah. at the moment. We're just trying to get approval on some of them. Um, but yeah, I'm literally doing some now to try and release soon. We're doing, um, I think stills have got approved. So a bunch of stills can go out. But yeah, we're doing some before and after videos as well. Gotcha. So yeah, hopefully they'll be coming soon. I did a thread on Twitter the other week of like showcasing the before and after for each of the 10 films. Drive mm. me crazy. I couldn't find them for you guys. So that's Yeah, no, they only they only recently came out. So you should be able to you should be able to grab some at least the stills. Like I say, the videos are are coming. Hopefully within a couple of days, maybe. So maybe halfway through next week, you might see them popping out. I'll be on the lookout. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. This yeah, no uh, incredible work. Uh, what are you working on next? Um, a break <laughs> is what I'm working on next. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure yet, to be honest. I'm having, having a little break and then I'll get back into work. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank yeah. you so much and good no, luck pleasure. with the Bake Off. Hope Thanks. Yeah, fingers crossed. Think, fingers crossed we get in there. We'll see. All right. Nice to chat to you, man. Thank you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the visual effects supervisor for The Matrix Resurrections, Hugh J. Evans here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Matrix Resurrections is currently shortlisted for Best Sound and Best Visual Effects at the 94th Academy Awards. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.